Welcome to this episode of CTU Speaks, Building a Better Chicago. Homie, I was taught by a Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher. I learned to read and write from a Chicago teacher, so I'm inspired by the fight from my Chicago teachers. I'm your co-host, Jim Staros, and today I'm joined with... Tara Stamps. Hey, Miss Stamps, how you doing today? You know what? Today's been a really good day. I have, like, not a complaint. Not any complaints at all? No, no. The weather has kind of gotten a little bit warmer. All right. I can resume some door knocking, some other activities. Okay. And uh, so all is well. I'm good. Door knocking, you mean for like Brandon, not just random knocking on doors, right? Oh, no. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> you know. I, gave, I gave that up. Okay. I don't, I don't know how you roll. Maybe you do that. I don't know. <laughs> In high school, but yes, door oh, wow. knocking for Brandon. All right. Well, you know, we got um, a lot of stuff to be, you know, really excited for coming up. We've got all kinds of elections, elections of our city council with a lot of progressive members running, election for a mayor. We have been killing it. First of all, like, you know, from our space and in partnership with United Working Families, we have like consistently in each of um, election cycles since 2015 added more and more and more progressive voices to um, the city council. And I think we really do need to, you know, take a moment to pat ourselves on the back. Progress is incremental. You know, it doesn't just happen overnight. And I used to tell my students, what I want from you is progress, not perfection. So as long as we are moving in that direction, I think that, you know, collectively we can just really pat ourselves on the back. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you look at city council, like even 10 years ago, like the people who would call themselves progressive were, were really not particularly. You no, know? not at all. And now we've gotten to the point where if everybody who's progressive wins on city council, it would be close to like, I think like 40% of city council. That's an amazing solidarity and bridge building and listening and working together and accepting when we're wrong and being prepared to rebuild and not giving up. I think sometimes people walk away from something before it's really over. You know, we give up too soon. And so I think it's just a testament to our tenacity that we have just kept pushing because I think we really do believe um, that better is possible. I think we really do believe that we can deliver a city that every every Chicagoan deserves. No, it's totally true. And I think that the reason we've been successful and the reason that we have this amazing growth is because these people, they they talk to the people in the neighborhoods. They don't just assume they know what you want. They know that they don't know every single neighborhood. So they got to talk to you. They got to get in those communities. They've got to talk to the, the people who are you know retired. They got to talk to the young kids. They got to talk to the working families. They got to talk to the homeless people. They got to talk to everybody because we all build it and make up the community. Absolutely. And I think that's what makes Chicago Teachers Union and the United Working Families, um, one of our close collaborators, really stand out because we do the work and we do the work year round, not just when it's election time. And unfortunately, for many um, Chicagoans, you know, they're just trying to live. You know, you know what I'm saying? They put one foot in front of the other. And by the time they look up, it's another election and they're you know, trying to keep their head on a swivel. And so it's important that we continue to make a presence in the communities across the city. No, definitely. And I mean, you know, we've got so many people running for mayor 
I know it gets to be confusing. I mean, it's nuts. And there's so many people running for aldermen. In some of these wards, there's five, like my ward up in the 38th ward now, there's, I think, six people running for aldermen. There's so many people who have stepped down because they realize the old guard isn't going to work anymore, including my former alderman, Ed Burke. You know, you know how he is. All I know, but I still see his name on stuff. Yeah, I, I know. thought they had gotten rid of that dude, and I was driving, and I saw his name on something. He's been around for like four hundred years, so <laughs> like his name on everything. Like he and Methuselah like hung out. He probably has his name on some money. If I don't, <laughs> probably you know I, he he would if he could. You know that's true. <laughs> oh, you know? you know, yeah, he's slick. He's slick with it. Yep. You know what's so funny? He's like one of the old um, reigning people from like the Chicago machine. Um, and I think that the other thing about when you said um, progressives is that now being progressive is a good thing, right? It used to be like this bad word and nobody knew what the heck he was talking about. Not only are we getting more people elected who are progressives, we we are also educating the masses that another way is possible. Well, and, you know, and the definitions of what it has changed. If if you asked, like, people our grandparents' age what progressive is, that's very different. A hundred years ago, you know, women barely had gotten the right to vote. You know, we, we've had to have, you know, laws just 40, 50 years ago for integration. At that point, that was considered very progressive. Now, that's basic. You know, and we keep pushing forward. And that's the point of that movement is there's always evolving needs within a community. And we have to be responsive to that. We can't do the same old stuff that we've always been doing. You know, that's some of the people we still got running. You know, I'm not trying to yeah. pick particularly on Vallis and Lightfoot, but that's who they <laughs> but are. If you want to name names, you know, name names. That's how I do, you know. <laughs> and I mean, I mean, seriously, has has Paul Vallis ever had a job he's not been fired from? No, he hasn't. And this is, look, this is what I find just incredible. Um, as I've been hearing that, like I, I, I knew the wreckage, right? I knew the carnage that he had left behind um, in the cities where he was once employed. What I did not realize was that he was actually fired from each of those jobs and that Philly said they couldn't wait for him to go. The absolute and total arrogance that you continue to say, oh, no, but I'm I'm qualified enough to run the city of Chicago, which says to me in your own mind, it's like, well, this thing, this is no big deal. I'm, you know, I can run the city into the ground. Oh, I'm sure he could. I'm sure he could. I, Do your research, people. These people no, are not no. right. You know, something just broke about his son, right? You know, it like I didn't. Just came out. No, I didn't even see that. Oh, my God. Like, it just came out in Twitter world that his son was one of three San Antonio police officers who fatally shot a black man who was fleeing in March oh of God. 2022. A spokesperson from the campaign confirmed. I already thought he was horrible. I didn't even know that. Yes. He's not saying that when he's out on these uh, campaign trails. You didn't hear that drop. No. Yeah, but I'm like, somebody's doing their research. And you know what? That's the thing. People oftentimes, unfortunately, want to be spoon-fed information. Folks got to do their own research on these candidates. They got to find out where the bones are buried because they're, they are there. But any administration other than Brandon Johnson is kind of scary, guys. No, I, I agree with you. And I also agree that, you know, you got to go do your own research. I firmly believe if, if you're on the fence about Brandon, go to one of his events, 
it's hard to hear that man and not be like, damn, that's the, that's the guy I want to follow. And I think that's the important thing. You don't have to always agree with somebody 110%. You, if it's somebody you can work with and somebody who you know is reasonable and is rational and you can sit down and have a real talk with them, that's the person you want to be there. Not somebody who's bringing broke-ass policies that have destroyed other cities back to Chicago that he messed up the first time. Right. And somebody who, you know, who has a heart for this city. You know, I'm proud to say that I was his mentor teacher. Right. But Brandon and I worked for many years together next door to each other at Jenner Academy of the Arts. And what once was Cabrini Green? He was just as approachable and humble and open and willing to learn then as he is now. And recently I saw a video Uh, when we were kind of like at the height of our fight and politicizing our fight and politicizing ourselves as a union. And so much of what he said then is what he's saying now is just refined and it's expanded the universe of who we're talking to, but it's really the same talking points. And so for me, it's the consistency. You were truthful then, like, you know, people who are truthful when their story doesn't change. Right. And His story hasn't changed. His demeanor hasn't changed. What he believes and how he practices what he believes hasn't changed. And so he really is a man that we can get behind because I believe that he's going to be truthful. And I'm so thankful that Brandon brings that to the space um, and potentially to the seat on the fifth floor. No, it's 100 percent right. And, you know, one of the things you said earlier is it's important to have somebody doesn't give up the first time something doesn't work, you know, and, and that's the good thing with our guests today. You know, these people have stayed true to what their ideas are as well. And, you know, their vision for a better Chicago is what we all deserve. All right. It's not about one particular group. It's about all of us living together in the city and giving each community what it needs specifically to be as successful as it can be. And and that's where I think Brandon would be a great leader for that, uh, leading the city council with our three guests on it that is going to be really uh, leading us into the future. And uh, I'm real excited to hear from them. So let's uh, let's jump to them right now and see what they've got to say. Let's get into it. So we're here with our guests now, three wonderful older people from the city of Chicago, trying to make differences and make the change for the better here in the city. I'm going to let them uh, introduce themselves, starting with uh, Alderwoman Rodriguez. My name is Rosana Rodriguez, and I am the Alderwoman of the 33rd Ward. My name is Carlos Ramirez Rosa, and I'm the Alderman of Chicago's 35th Ward. I'm really happy to be here with all of you today. And I am Alderwoman Jeanette Taylor of the 20th Ward. Glad to be with y'all. And we are glad to have you too. And Alderman Taylor, I don't know if you remember, but when we had our very first episode, before we even went live, we were just had a big phone sitting in the middle of the table and you were there recording on our first one. So I appreciate having you back. We upgraded. And yeah, we upgraded. We got microphones. We got computers. We're all, we're all high tech now with our millions of listeners. So I really appreciate that. <laughs> and uh you know, we got you know we got an election coming up. I'm sure you've heard about it. Um, you know, somebody was just saying a little bit before, 21 days, right? There's a lot riding on this election, and you know, one of the things I hear the most uh, when I'm talking to friends, when I'm around in different circles, is the issue on public safety. But the question seems to be focused on: should we have more police or not more police? 
it seems to be all police-based. So what's wrong with framing the debate in this way? What does that leave out? We've been talking about public safety for years, and now all of a sudden that is hurting communities that are not of color. Now we got to do something. We've been telling y'all since, what, 2015? Don't close schools. Don't close mental health clinics. Stop taking the fund away from after-school programs. Have youth year-round youth deployment. And so we told y'all this was going to happen. And so, ta-da, this is what you got. But leave it to the experts to know what to do. Like, what did y'all think was going to happen when they closed 50 schools? You took away these kids' other parents. And I don't tell people this all the time. The less stable foundations we have in our community are the schools, and they just throw a grenade in those. And so what do you expect? This is what happens when you hire dictators. This, this is the results. And so if the city of Chicago, the fifth flow is a top cop, what do you think we're going to continue to do? We're going to continue to invest in police. And you can look at budgets and tell what people invest in. And our city clearly says it's investing in police and not in young people. And so that's not the type of city we want. And that's not what we're signing up for. I think there's also the idea that we never have enough police when we have a $1.9 billion funded police department that now we have seen a report that the estimate is more like $3.4 billion that is being invested in policing because there's a lot of expenses from the police that are not under CPD, right? I think I think neoliberalism has a lot to do with this, right? Like we have defunded all of the structures of care um, that we had in the city. We have a Department of Family and Support Services that is essentially a bank. It just it just sends money to nonprofit organizations to and delegates the work. We have a, a Department of Public Health that only receives 7% of its funding from corporate in the city, right? We have um, most of the work that is done from CDPH is actually funded by grants from the federal government. If you get a president that doesn't agree with the things you're using that money from, guess what? You don't have a department of health anymore because we have not allocated funding for it. Right now, I think that the way to go, and we have been offering this solution since 2020, we when we introduced treatment of trauma, we can actually keep our communities way safer by making sure that we are um, developing the structures of care publicly run structures of care that can actually address a lot of the issues that we are dumping into the police department and not using the right tools for it, right? Like we need help with substance abuse. We need help with intoxication. We need help with homelessness. We need help with mental health crisis. Just reading a beautiful article in the New Yorker about the model that they have established in Albuquerque. We started talking to Albuquerque at the same time that they started their project there for mental health crisis response. And now they are responding to about 1,500 calls a month and making sure that they receive the help that they need. And, you know, before all of these calls were being tended to by police, it's still a very low percentage of calls Um but it is actually demonstrated that you don't need to be deploying po- police for these things, that you should be using the right tools, um, behavioral health workers, to make sure that we are tending to people and not punishing them. Right. 
Yeah, and that's 1,500 less chances of a negative interaction with the police officer um, in Albuquerque, right? I mean, that's for those 1,500 people, that was a much better outcome than might have happened had the police responded to it. And 1,500 opportunities to maybe get the help that you need. Exactly. Yep, and the right resources that. that you need. The fact that they even took the time and understood and recognized that it was the humanitarian thing to do was to connect people with resources that can actually help them. But one part of, of the model is that they created a city department to run it. And the reasoning behind it was we need these behavioral health workers that are going out to assist people in crisis to be at the same level of police. Because if all you have is nonprofit workers that are coming out, police shows up and they will call the shots. If you actually have city workers that can make assessments and decide what needs to happen, then that doesn't happen, right? So it is a publicly funded, publicly run department specifically to deal with mental health issues, substance abuse issues, homelessness, all of those things. I think that the main issue is that then the structures that you rely on nonprofit organizations that are overextended and not funded, you will always be crashing on the same wall, right? We don't have enough shelters, low barrier shelters. We don't have supportive housing. We don't have good jobs. So those things are always going to be there and we need to be also investing in those things, right? So it's not a magic formula that you're going to create these um, programs to go. Yeah, you can definitely uh, have a lot of relief by having that kind of response, but you have to be able to build the structures that are going to support that response. And we don't have that. We don't have it here and we mostly don't have it in, in the whole country. Mm. Yeah. It's got to be publicly funded. The idea that we can privatize this and it's going to be functional is, is ridiculous. Uh, we shouldn't be having, you know, people responding to a mental health crisis, wondering whether this is going to be profitable for them at the end of it. Uh, it should be responded to because that's what's necessary in the community. And that's what we need to, it's the best response to it. Um, the police aren't set up to respond to something like that. They're set up to respond to something as a threat. And, you know, if you walk in and you see everything as a threat and you see somebody acting a certain way, you're like, oh, that's a threat. I need to neutralize a threat. And that's, that's what happens. And then we act shocked that, oh my God, how did that happen? Because that's what we trained them to do. And they're put in a position of something that they are not trained to do. Chicago is the most over-policed city in the country. If police made cities safe, there would be no crime. Say that again for the people in the back, Jim. It just um, ain't true, yo. <laughs> <laughs> so Brandon has advanced a comprehensive vision of public safety and health that is far more inclusive uh, than the narrow one of police. So for Rosanna... Uh, you're the chief sponsor of Treatment Not Trauma. How do you think the approach that Brandon has proposed meshes with Treatment Not Trauma? I mean, I think it's spot on and I'm looking forward to working with Mayor Brandon Johnson <laughs> to implement Treatment Not Trauma. Um, Brandon met with me very early in the process to ask about the approaches that we were thinking about. Because Brandon listens. Brandon wants to make sure that he has an understanding of things. Um, and, and we have had a lot of conversations around treatment, not trauma. I think one of the things that um, was, was the best uh, about my conversations with him and, and his plan is his disposition um, to use the resources that we already have 
and transform them, right? Um, one of the things that I'm the most invested in right now is uh, not only reopening the public mental health clinics, which Brandon has um, has promised to do, uh, but developing structures within those mental health centers in Chicago so that we can have 24-hour walking crisis centers. Um, those are very, very important because right now we don't have anywhere to transport people who are experiencing a crisis. So right now, if you're experiencing a mental health crisis, you will end up either at a police station or at an ER. And none of those places are adequate for somebody that uh, that that is experiencing a mental health crisis and needs follow-up. The idea right now is to be able to use some of the resources that we already have and just expand them. We still have five of those mental health centers. We can expand those. We can make sure that we can make some of them 24-hour walking crisis centers just by staffing them better and creating more resources inside of them. So I think that Brendan is spot on with his plan, and I'm really excited to work with with him uh, when he becomes mayor. Well, I think that, you know, Brandon released a very comprehensive plan alongside Illinois State Senator Robert Peters, and his public safety plan is one that speaks to the needs in our community. It's one that recognizes decades of research into what actually makes communities safe. Um, And look, we have grassroots organizations, we have experts that have been working to make the necessary investments in our disinvested communities to improve public safety. Um, And Brandon's platform reflects the work that's been happening on the ground and reflects the realities in our city. So I think this is exactly the type of mayor that we need at this time, someone who is responsive to the work that people are doing in our neighborhood, because there are so many Chicagoans who have been working diligently to make their community safe. They've been dreaming of solutions for public safety, one of them being the Peace Book. Good Kids Mad City has put forward this proposal. Our youth have put forward this proposal to improve public safety in our communities. And despite the fact that they have been leading on this issue, our mayor has blocked their efforts to get something as simple as the peace book included in the city budget. Brandon Johnson is the only leading candidate for mayor that supports the peace book. And you can go to the Chicago Votes voter guide and you can see that he's the only one. Congressman Chuy Garcia does not support the peace book. Mayor Lori Lightfoot has blocked the peace book. So we need a mayor that's going to work with our youth and that's going to work with parents, that's going to work with the entire community to advance proposals to make our community safe. And that's Brandon Johnson. So I'm really excited uh, about his candidacy and I'm really excited about what his uh, administration would mean for the people of the city of Chicago. We all know what another term of Mayor Lightfoot would be. Um, and yeah, I know everybody's shaking their head. We can't see that <laughs> on the podcast, but everybody's shaking their head. But this is what I'm curious. This is what I'm curious right. now. Go ahead. When, when everybody like have that like very physical reaction to Lori, like what was the worst part? I'm just curious. <laughs> like <laughs> what was like you as an alder trying to move an agenda for your community and the city? And like when you would go home, what was the one thing that would have you at your you know, wherever you go to decompress, we'll call it that, about working with <laughs> Lori Lightfoot. She a liar. The Anjanetta Young thing just, you saw the video and you lied and say you didn't see it. Like, we just catch her in her lie. And then her ability to rule, to read Robert's Rule of Order. Like, they give us books, what, every other week? Rosada laughing, but it's like, Sis, did you read the book? Did you, you keep passing these damn books out, but did you read it? 
Like Anthony Bill talks about us all the time needing our own legislators, our own lawyers. We definitely need them because she don't have a clue. Oh, Jesus Christ. No, don't don't get me off. She's just a liar. She's not honest. She ain't willing to work with people. I know for all of us on this call, we've all reached out to Olive Branch to help her to work with her. And this helpful just then lost her mind. But I'm going to say again, when people show you are who they believe them, I want y'all to go back when she put Rakia Boyd's family out of that police board meeting. I was there. Rakia Boyd wasn't in the ground war. When Lori Lightfoot put her family out of that meeting saying they were too emotional, their relative was just shot by the police for no reason. And so she like the cousin at the family reunion. Like everybody knows she's going to lie. We just listen. Because that's what she do. She pits us against each other. Literally, the remap mess was her. Like, if I'm going to call it like I see it, she literally put the Black Caucus against the Latino Caucus. Literally told the Black Caucus, y'all organized. Y'all ain't meeting. Y'all ain't got no money. Ain't it your job to build just together? But that's because she thinks she's our boss. And I've had to remind her, we co-workers, sis. This goes back to even voting for her. I wrote Hair Washington. Because I wasn't voting for her. Nothing about her said that I could lead the city. She did the same thing Rom did. She got on the, the stage and started crying and had on a good sweater. Like, that's what we going for these days. Like, no, it's 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 a no for me. Like, she just, I I could honestly say she picks and chews who she talks to. Um, she's even disrespecting her own chairs. Well, her chair went against her. Like, think about that. Pat Dow endorsed Brandon. Not in a million years did any of us saw that coming. I did, of course, because she didn't support Pat. She didn't. So you can't not support me and think I'm going to support you. So for those of us who don't know or for city people who may not know, uh, Pat Dow coming out and supporting Brandon was a bigger thing than one would imagine. Right, because Pat Dow is Lori's finance chair. And everybody knows whoever the finance chair really rules the city council. And so... Your own finance chair went against you because of your shenanigans and your foolishness. I would say for me, um, Lori Lightfoot came saying that she was a progressive, you know, at the beginning, the chairs of, of her committees that she handpicked came in saying, this is a new day. I remember the first budget when we voted against her budget because her administration decided that they were not negotiating anything with us. And we said we were going to vote against it. And we were assured that it was a new day. There would be no retaliation. We voted against the budget. And two days later, our names were all in a website telling people to email us and tell us how awful we are for voting against her budget. And then after that, there was no appetite for collaboration ever. It doesn't matter how good legislation is. It was a constant war. and. While you have nine or 10, you know, very progressive elders that are ready to fight for progressive legislation, she decided to make Nick Sposato the most right wing alderman in city council her conscience. And she said that Nick Sposato is my conscience, one of the most morally bankrupt people that has ever gone through city council. She decided to align herself with some of the most right-wing and corrupt elements in city council and push all of us away. 
She decided to be incredibly petty at all times. She decided to fight teachers that were trying to bring nurses and social workers into schools, left them out for 11 days on strike and then claim that they were doing all these fantastic things that the teachers had to fight <laughs> like hell for. I think that the legacy of Lori Lightfoot has been terrible. I think that she came in with a message of bringing in the light and then she ended up doing exactly the same as her predecessors. And it was it was heartbreaking that she came in as the first black lesbian woman and then essentially said, now it's my turn to do the same thing that all of these men did before me. It has been really hard for us to be able to get anything done. And anything that has gotten done while she's in office has been because she knows that it is very advantageous to her. So she will make it happen when it's advantageous to her and, and her messaging, right? Like, which is what happened with the um, bodily autonomy sanctuary ordinance that I introduced. She then made it into a, an executive order and she passed it. But that was, that was my, that's my bill. <laughs> that's what we got, the little bully, because that's what she is. She a little bully and you let nine progressives drag you. Because that's honestly what we did for these last four years. And that's not what people want to do. We didn't get into office to fight with her. We got into office because we wanted to see real change. And we had folks who would back us up. She's taking credit for community control of the police. Lady. You know, your grandmother said, go sit down somewhere. You want to tell go sit down go somewhere. Sit down. Oh, geez. I'm, I'm glad Randy Brandon running because we got people who say they're progressive, but they, because the man who said take the cuffs out the police and put them on the criminals and hunt them down like rabbits. How many episodes of Buzz Bunny have you seen, sir? And where was Pete at when he said that shit? Like, Peter should have been all over him. We got to do better. We, we, we got to do better. Because politics is so nasty, it's why people don't want to get into it. And so we got to make politics make sense again. Like I tell people, you don't pull up nobody's signs. That signs don't vote. I don't got to drag no other candidate. I can talk about what I'm doing. And that's what, what Brandon has basically done. Talked about what he's done, what he's going to do. Yeah, these four years, I've been questioning God. Like I asked for the Mega Million numbers and a rich husband. What, what is this? How did I get stuck again? You you don't question the big guy. At least I don't think you should. But I was like, what was you thinking? Let up. Wow. Uh, Carlos, I know that um, you've been there for a minute. So you've been, you've seen a couple different iterations of leadership in um, City Hall. And so what was your experience like? What was the thing that like really left you like, how did we get back here again? Yeah, I think that's a great question, Tara. You know, I was elected in 2015. And so my first term uh, was with Mayor Rahm Emanuel, and there was no Jeanette Taylor in city council. There was no Rosana Rodriguez in city council. Uh, there were very few older people that actually wanted to push forward progressive policy that was in the best interest of our neighborhoods. Um, you know, it's been true for decades that most older people in city council, unfortunately, have been rubber stamps and gone along with whatever the mayor put in front of them. And I think that Rahm had a horrible agenda but he was very good at pushing forward that very horrible agenda. 
Uh, he knew how to twist arms. He knew how to use the carrot and the stick. Um, and so he was a bad person, but he was competent in, uh, you know, administrating and, and, and in putting forward his, his policy. And I think that what was so disappointing was that in many ways, people elected Mayor Lightfoot to undo the harm that Mayor Rahm Emanuel caused. We elected her to be a champion for an elected school board, which is what she said over and over again on the campaign trail. We elected her to erase the gang database, which she posted about over and over again on her campaign Twitter. We elected her to reopen the Department of the Environment. We elected her to, uh, you know, create a civilian oversight of the police. We elected her to reopen the shuttered mental health clinics. She promised to us that she was going to implement all of the progressive policies that we have been fighting for. And uh, she said her inauguration speech. And I remember I spoke to the Sun-Times and the Tribune after her inauguration speech, and I said that was the most progressive speech that I've heard from a mayor in my lifetime. Now, keep in mind, I was born in 1989. Um, So (laughs) she went on to then break every single one of those promises. And the few things that we were able to get past during her term, we had to hold her feet to the fire. We had to go down to Springfield and fight for an elected school board over the opposition of Mayor Lori Lightfoot when she campaigned and made that a central issue of hers on the campaign trail. We had to fight with her tooth and nail to get basic reforms implemented with civilian oversight. We still have not opened up a single mental health clinic that Rahm Emanuel closed. And we've had to fight with her just to get a few additional dozen positions in the existing mental health clinics. So I think that has been the greatest disappointment for me because I know that the people of the city of Chicago feel betrayed and feel disappointed. And when you have an elected official who makes promises, who says, I'm going to deliver all these things that you've been fighting for, and she's elected in a wave of enthusiasm, and she breaks all of those promises, that really does a disservice to the public trust. That's why people hate politics. That's why people get so disillusioned. That's why people accept a broken status quo because of people like Mayor Lightfoot who take the work that we've been doing, copy and paste it, and then mess it all up. Um, So I I think the the good news, though, is that despite her being a horrible, incompetent, corrupt bully of a mayor, we have refused to accept that broken status quo. And we have worked to continue to provide hope to the people of the city of Chicago. And now this movement has delivered Brandon Johnson and people are getting excited. You could see it in the polls. You could see it in the house parties. You can see it in the enthusiasm and the people out knocking doors. So it's just good to know that despite all the silliness happening in City Hall as a result of this mayor, we in the streets, we in our communities are dreaming up and putting forward the solutions that are going to get Chicago on the right track. Ooh, that was powerful. That response was so visceral. What became really, really hurtful is that she represented the worst of the bad because she lied about who she was, right? And I think other people, we kind of had some suspicions. People kind of knew what they were getting with Rom, especially in that second term. People knew. So he's right that, you know, with this whole bringing in the light. I also think that the young people did know, though, because it was the young people who told me about Rakia Boyd. It was the young people who have watched her um, behavior in many of these cases. So, you know, we, we really do um, need to listen to the young people. And I'm so excited. That's one of the reasons I am excited about the Peace Book. Um, and the work that young people are doing. But you had a follow-up question. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about, like, put myself in, like, I think with everybody else, like you said, we knew what we were going to get, but we expected better. 
Because if we had actually got the mayor that was campaigning, if we got the person that fulfilled those promises, we'd be in a significantly better place than we are right now, right? I mean, I will admit, I think I'm relatively savvy about this stuff. But when I heard her talk, I, I believe part of it, at least. Jeanette's shaking her head. She's like, you're an idiot. And I'm like, yep, I, I am sometimes. I got you. No, no, no. You the popos is what I thought. No. Nothing about her and a burgundy jacket. Nothing told me that she was going to be the person that she said she was. Plus, nobody from her community would vouch for her. Think about that. Nope. Nobody from the LGBTQ community vouched for her. That was my first real inclination that there would be a problem. If you can't even get your friends to come out and say something about you, you know, as, as bad as we were just talking about Lori, uh, I, I got to ask you about another guy who's running. What would happen if we had a, a mayor, Paul Vallis? Hell no. I'm moving to another country. <laughs> Paul Vallis started closing schools. People better not ever forget that. So before it became this big thing, it was Paul Vallis. He, and he loves the police. In his eyes, the police does nothing wrong. And so that is so problematic. I'm going to another country. I ain't even going to another state if he, if he if he makes it. It's a hell no. That man does not get it. He does not respect black and brown voice. And he thinks white is right. I'm just going to say it. And so it's a hell no for me. I hear Jeanette's um, visceral response to this, but a Paul Vallas mayoral term means that we are going to the mat. <laughs> and Jenna's going to be there and we're going to fight that man. <laughs> and we're going to fight hard. Every step of the way. A mayor Paul Vallas in Chicago would mean essentially a very similar fight than we have had in these four years. And it has been exhausting. Um, I think that just like Carlos was talking about before with Rahm Emanuel, it's a different kind of fight. Um, I think that with Lori Lightfoot, there has been a lot of instances of like really bad administration practices, very poor communication with the council. But in terms of policies, Paul Vallas is as far as it can go from the vision that we want for our city. Paul Vallas is all about privatization. He's a neoliberal. Um, so I, I think that it would be war for people like us who want to expand public services, who want to strengthen uh, city government. But but we're ready to fight anybody in there. And, and I know Jeanette is too. <laughs> well, I was in Chicago Public Schools when uh, Paul Vallis was uh, the CEO. And I remember the way in which he began the ugly process of privatizing public education, of cutting uh, back of austerity. Um, and so Paul Vallis does not represent the values of the city of Chicago. Paul Vallis is the type of mayor that, quite frankly, I think would be worse than Rahm. And if, if, if it's a runoff between Lori Lightfoot and Paul Vallis, I'm for sure voting for Lori Lightfoot. And I'm no fan of Lori Lightfoot. I think that Paul Vallis right now benefits from the fact that um, he's the only one in the conservative moderate lane for this mayoral primary. Chewy's trying to get up in there in that lane with him. Um, you know, Chewy keeps cutting ads uh, trying to say, I'm Paul Vallis too. He doesn't realize that, you know, those conservative voters, Paul Vallis has got them unlocked. 
So there's enough conservative voters to get Paul Vallis to the runoff. But ultimately, I, I believe and I know that Chicago is a progressive and liberal majority city. Kim Fox won twice, despite the fact that she had to face very steep uh, bigotry, right wing attacks. There's a reason why uh, Bill Conway is running for alderman today and isn't our current uh, state's attorney. Similarly, the Workers' Rights Amendment won overwhelmingly in the city of Chicago. The uh, fair tax, despite facing a lot of right-wing attacks, won overwhelmingly. J.B. Pritzker, despite facing crazy right-wing attacks, won overwhelmingly. So Chicago is a progressive and liberal majority city. And someone like Brandon matches the city very well because they represent the city's values. They represent the city's heart. Um, I think that if, if Lori had actually lived up to all the progressive promises that she made on the campaign trail when she was elected overwhelmingly, I think she'd be a shoe in right now for re-election because she would have worked with the grassroots. She would have worked with progressive labor unions. She would have worked with the people that make this city what it is uh, to get a lot of good things done. And I think currently Chewy is, is plummeting in the polls in part because of the fact that he has abandoned his base and has gone chasing after Paul Vallis's voters. I think that Paul Vallis is on track to make the runoff, but in the end, I just don't see him winning. He, he doesn't match the values of our city. He's way too far to the right. He's cozied up to MAGA Republicans. I'm sorry, y'all, but the FOP candidate for mayor is not going to be our mayor. Uh, I, I have to bust some people's bubbles, but um, that's just the truth. We're going to have to do some work to beat him, but I just don't think he wins in the end. And what does the work look like? And I know I've been there, so I know how exhaustive that campaign season is. But what does the work look like? What is it that we must do in our communities, in our churches, with our friends, with our family to deliver for this city who we say we need for this city? Keep them engaged. We should have been having a state of Black Chicago. And I said this to the Black Caucus when I first joined in 2019. Every community should be having a conversation about what's the needs because we got 77 neighborhoods and all the needs are different. Communities need different things. And so hindsight being 2020, we really reaching out to our members and people who work with us to kind of set the stage for what we should and shouldn't be fighting for. See, our people don't come out for us because they ain't a part of the conversation on the front end. And we're still making that mistake, I hate to say. And so I hear people saying, well, I don't know this person or I've heard this and it ain't enough time in these six months to get really people to know people. And so we got to do some real movement work to to build, but I'm gonna tell y'all something. I had a vision about who's in the runoff, and nobody's gonna be happy. It was Brandon and Chewy. That's Woo! who I saw in the runoff. I've been having that dream for too many nights, and I'm concerned. I'm very concerned. What's the tea leaves? That's what the tea leaves are saying in your space. Man, listen, because <laughs> what does that do to our real black and brown? Unity, because we have black and brown unity. I want to get there because that's a conversation that some of us in protected spaces have, but it's one that we in those spaces have to be brave enough and bold enough to have in the wider community. Um, 
this call is a testament to black and brown unity. When Eladio and I uh, on Sunday do the black and brown get down, that's a testament to black and brown unity. I had the wonderful opportunity to be in Lawndale waiting on Brandon to do a, a talk with some community people, but who showed up were some young people who are part of the new leaders program, this media program that's operated out of St. Agatha's Church. And who are those people? They were black, brown, female, male, uh, who came in in lockstep as each other's keeper in that safe and protected space. And when I said to them, they there are people in this city that don't believe this exists, that don't believe this is a true and authentic relationship. And so I know um, because, you know, my mother was the late Marion Stamps and I remember her fight to get here in Washington elected. And I remember that a big part of that fight was black and brown solidarity. And I remember Rudy Lozano being at my home in those kitchen table meetings. And I remember it quite well. And so a big part of what I see in Brandon's um, campaign that I don't see in a lot of other campaigns when I'm kind of poking around is black, brown white, male, female, LGBT. Like I do see where it's generating the buzz of a cross section of, of voters. And I want to know how can we talk about an authentic black and brown unity, especially for you, Alder Jeanette, with the brouhaha that happened at Wadsworth? So I wouldn't have made it without Carlos, Rosanna, Byron, Daniel, Andre, but he acting right. Because I felt like the token Black girl in the space all the time, and I was used in that way. I also was told in some spaces when I was in the Black caucus, them Latino people don't care about you. I was organizing with them when I was cussing y'all out. When I was fighting school closing, it was Latino mothers that rode to Springfield with us. When we was fighting to keep the mental health clinics open, it was Latino mothers that organized with us. And so that's real for me. And I'm sorry that some people can't see it. But see, that's what this racist system does. Like we fighting each other for crumbs when they walking away with millions. So I keep telling people, don't come to me talking about Latinos taking jobs. Them jobs, you ain't gonna work no way. They ain't taking no jobs from us. That's the rhetoric they use to keep us fighting. And so I tell people all the time, this country is full of migrants. But at the end of the day, my people was imports. And so let, let, let's be clear about what this situation is. But I couldn't have made it with, with, without them. Maria, Matt Martin, we were not seen as the people who were a part of this. And I, I think we all felt it. And Carlos was already there. But Carlos was treated like a bald-headed stepchild when he was only telling the truth. Mm. <laughs> like, and so for us, that's real. Like we stand with each other. We have each other's back. We're together. We talk. Like now they tried and doing the remap and they tried real, real hard to, to, to test our black and brown unity. It just didn't work because we know who we are. And we also realize that they play us in their political games. Cause of course we are progressive. We are real progressive, but we also have all of these relationships that's not just union-based. We meet with the community members. Good kids, Mad City is in the 20th ward. So we not falling for the rhetoric. 
but we also seeing what games they play. Remember, black women change elections. We the reason why I sleep with Joe. And I don't know how proud I am of that, but we ain't got Donald Duck. <laughs> so that part. Look, I gotta double back a little bit because I jump in to questions like people know what I'm talking about. So that's that's my bad, y'all. So if you could just give us a little bit more context about Wadsworth, I jumped in like our viewers knew what I was talking about, and that may not necessarily be fair. So Wadsworth was one of the biggest high-performing elementary schools that was in Woodlawn. And in 2015, it was one of the closed schools. And so the community fought really, really hard because Wadsworth was not just a school um, in the Black community. Like, it was a multiracial school because it was a really good school. I knew Dr. Turner, um, who was the principal, and so I knew that institution quite well. And so the thought that the city ignored people saying, hey, why would you put migrants that are not African-American or African descent in the middle of a war where they have no support? And what I will say is, Byron Cinco Lopez, Mike Rodriguez, Rosana Rodriguez, Carlos Ramirez Rosa, all said, hey, how do we help? Is there some space we can give them in my ward? This is how we help. And this was her just not coordinating with me. She didn't care. Like there was an alternative plan. And so I want people to know that. And see, I got the receipts where she telling me I look anti-migrant because I'm speaking up for my community. And so that's the type of person that we have. But they have no real plan for the migrants they bring in. So what are you doing it for? So you could get the Latino vote and you could politically look good. It ain't because you really care. Because you wouldn't put them in harm's way. When they still first started talking about moving that Wadsworth building, that building was not ready. And let's talk about the, the $7.5 million they spent in no big contracts. And none of those bids went to anybody in our communities. And so let's call a spade a spade. Like, I, I, I know the shell game when I see it. And, and this was the shell game she played with people's lives who couldn't afford it. Because you're talking about people who've been on a bus for 12 hours. You're talking about people who haven't had any food. You're talking about mothers who can't nurse. You're talking about people who've been raped. You're talking about people who walk through the damn jungles and you bring them up here with no plan. And don't get me wrong. The governor from Texas is a damn idiot. He did this intentionally to spaces that say sanctuary city. But as a sanctuary city, you can't say sanctuary and not have a plan. And sanctuary city means sanctuary for everybody. This was more about People feeling like they don't take care of mental health crisis here. They don't take care of the homeless people here. I've been going back and forth with my community because there are some people like, you okay with the Latinos being here? 14% of the board is Latinx. You, you do know that, right? But that does not help with what you all are thinking. Black people ain't got no history of violence against other people. That, that's not what we do. And so... What this administration did was have secret squirrel meetings, and that's what I call them, with the neighbors to try to convince them that this is okay, we'll take care of it, and blah, blah, blah. So this was her whole plan to make herself politically look good to the Latinx community. And that's how I see it. I can't see it for nothing else because you have no real plan. And you didn't take the, you didn't take the Latino caucus and say, hey, folks are from Venezuela. How can we help? But that's if you can if this wasn't a political stunt. So this was all a political stunt as far as I'm concerned. 
in this space, I wanted us to be able to just create some atmosphere so that we can have some context about the Wadsworth fight and say, looking toward the future, because in my mind, I've always thought we could have retrofitted buildings to properly take care of our people. I personally thought they should have done it because there are so many young people on the street. There are so many mental ill people on the street. And Chicago, unlike other Vegas and LA and all these other places where it's warm or kind of warm year round, Chicago is brutal in the winter. And to see families out on the street or clamoring to find shelter when it's negative two degrees outside is heartbreaking and inhumane when you have what was 50 buildings and scores of others because a lot of people stuck on that 50 but they don't know about all the other buildings that Paul Vallis got and closed before we got to the 50 which is what uh, the alder was implying earlier that there were schools being closed quietly for years before Rahm Emanuel wanted to close 50 at one shop. And since we're talking about that, when they lift the ban on school closures, we're going to be looking at some other devastation in our communities. So we need to be planning for that. We need to be planning for that. But that'll be another podcast a little bit down the road. Like right now, let's, you know, <laughs> you know, it's like, woo, it's just so many things on our plate. But that's my piece. I wanted you all to be able to just shed some light on um, Wadsworth and you amplify and lift it up your, your relationship with Brother Carlos and Sister Rosanna. And I would like to hear from you all, what does authentic Black and Brown unity look like and how can we um, broaden that in our, in our campaign, in this season and in our communities? I think it's a lot about identifying um, the needs that our communities have. I think it's about understanding the differences, but also understanding that essentially and fundamentally all human beings need the same things, right? And that when we fight um, for those resources to be available, when we fight for housing for everybody, when we fight for high quality education for everybody, we we are helping everybody be good. When we all do good, we all do good. Like we we need to be able to fight for for ourselves and for each other. Um, and and that is a reflection of what Chicago is. We are a highly segregated city, but you know we need the same things. We need to be able to 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 fight and care for one another. And we're ready to do that. And we have been doing that in city council. And we are ready to continue doing that and creating um, those coalitions. And, and we are incredibly proud of the work that Brandon Johnson has been doing across the city in building those coalitions. He understands that that's what's going to be needed in order for all of us to be supported and cared for. Yeah, I think that it's incumbent upon us to build the 21st century rainbow coalition. I think that oftentimes we we talk about wouldn't it be so nice if we had this and that and and it's we just got to start doing the work to build those coalitions and that's why I'm so proud to be part of this progressive movement um that has been really pushed forward uh by the Chicago Teachers Union because it's this movement that got us Jeanette Taylor in city council is this movement that helped get us Rosana Rodriguez in city council. And now we're building that rainbow coalition in city council 
with the very diverse membership of the Chicago Teachers Union. Now, Brandon is building that movement citywide. Um, there are so many Latino leaders that are supporting Brandon Johnson because we know that he is better. We know that he is the best choice, not just for our community, but for all communities. His latest ad is so powerful where he talks about every block, every neighborhood, how he wants to make sure that we have a better city for all of us. And that is that universal message that I think Chicagoans want to hear, but also not just here, they want to see it be the reality of their elected leadership. So I'm really proud to be part of this 21st Century Rainbow Coalition. It's not perfect. We have a long way to go. But I think that we are building something truly special here that is truly needed if we're going to deliver for every single community, particularly the communities that have been most left behind. So, yeah, I, I co-sign everything that Jeanette and uh, Alderwoman Rodriguez said. Um, you know, too often we are pitted against each other. And who wins when we're pitted against each other? It's the same thing as the workplace. Who wins when workers are pitted against each other? It's the boss, right? The boss is the one that doesn't want you to know how much you're making versus how much your coworkers making. But the strength of the union comes when workers come together, right? Regardless of their racial background, to demand what they need to thrive. And I think that same lesson from unionism is what we need to apply in our communities. We need to come together, stop fighting each other, and put forward powerful, bold demands so our communities get the resources that we need to thrive. I love it. I love it. No, this is great, man. Like, I think that's a great way to end this. I mean, the idea that we need to come together to work together to get what we all need in all of our communities all across the city. And I just want to thank you, aldermen, women, to being here today. This was fantastic. It's always great talking to you all. And if what is it, three weeks, we're going to we're going to celebrate a new mayor on the fifth floor and make your job significantly easier getting all this stuff through that we need within our communities. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of CTU Speaks, where we got to hear from our wonderful alderpersons about what they would be doing to build a better Chicago. I'm glad that they took time uh, with us because I know they're beating the pavement too. They are. I appreciate it. And I appreciate everything that they're doing to what? Building Build a, better a better Chicago. Chicago. And for any of you guys that want to leave a comment or if you got suggestions or tell me how great you thought I was today, feel free to give <laughs> us a call at 312-467-8888 or email us at ctuspeaks at ctulocal1.org. And of course, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And thank you, Ms. Stamps, for being my co-host again today. So wonderful. It was my pleasure. Well, thank you so much. And I hope <laughs> to see you again. And I hope to hear all you listeners out there again on the next episode of CTU Speaks. Talk to you later. Later.